All right, um, a couple of quick announcements, and then we'll jump into today's message. Um, first of all, man, I just want to thank you guys. As we've been getting back into the rhythm and the flow of gathering on Sundays, you know, the members of our church were in different places. Some of us are here gathering, some of us are watching online. Um, we've been able to open up one of our kids' classes. And I just want to encourage you guys, we're like one to two volunteers away from opening a second class. Um, we, could, we could even almost open up next Sunday. So if that's something you've considered, if you'd be prayerful about, um, if you're not here this morning, you're watching this right now or later, um, man, if we got one to two more people, um, we've got like two slots left that we can fill up a month and open up a second class that would cover our kindergarten through second graders. So if you guys would just consider that, man, we're grateful to you guys. We've already had really awesome response from our volunteers. So there is that. Um, all right. Um, let me just set the tone a little bit of where we're heading next. So we have, we've wrapped up the Gospels. We've wrapped up the book of Acts, which to me is really an extension of the Gospels because it's now here's what Jesus is doing in his people, that, that he has left the message of who he is and the hope that is available to the whole world. He's left that message in their care. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now we're moving into the portion of the New Testament where there are a lot of letters that have been written to the church. And I believe that it's always significant for us as members of the church, capital C, his church, to immerse ourselves in God's word and to, to listen to the things that have been written for our benefit. They've been written to, to challenge us at times. There are things that are challenging in the days ahead as we read through these letters. There are things that are meant to encourage us, inspire us. There's things that are meant to teach us. Like sometimes there's just stuff we don't know yet. And we can learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can learn more about who God is and his goodness and his faithfulness. And so it's always important. So I want to say that up front. But I believe this is timely. I believe it's timely for us as a church. Um, I also believe it's just, it's timely for where the church is in our country right now. Um, I'm going to pray again in just a minute before we jump into Romans here. But I, I just, I need to say to you guys, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Um, I'm not concerned about the election. That doesn't mean that I don't think it's important and it's significant. That's not the thing that concerns me. I'm also not concerned about COVID. And I don't mean to say it's not serious and it's not challenging times that we are living in but I'm not wringing my hands in concern over COVID. God's got us. I am concerned for the church. I have been concerned for the church for a long time, but I am increasingly becoming concerned for the church. And the things I'm gonna be talking about in the coming weeks, they're things I feel deeply in my heart that are an issue in his church in America. But this isn't meant to just be a thing for us here to hear this and go, yeah, that's what's wrong with the church out there. I've got to be willing, and I want to encourage you to be willing to consider, is any of this me? Is any of this going on in me? Is there something God wants to do in my life 
and in this church body and in his church throughout this country to bring needed change. And so let's start there. I don't want you just to put on kind of your ears that are just, you know, if everybody told me at the end of the next six or seven weeks, man, Jake, that was great, and I just agreed with that, and that just needed to be said, and thank you for saying that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the audience going, yeah, rah, rah, that's the right thing. Preach it. I'm not looking for that. In my own heart, I'm saying, Lord, is there stuff you need to show me that I have become blind to? that I have become comfortable with. And so friends, I wanna encourage you, let's first and foremost approach this from the sense of God, is there something you want to say to me? I believe that the church needs to rediscover the power of Jesus Christ. And that all the problems that we see going on within the church and outside of the church that we have either ignored them for far too long or we've put our focus on other solutions that are not Christ. And I believe we need to rediscover the power of Christ. And so as we go through these New Testament letters in the coming weeks, we're gonna talk about um, clear things that were communicated early on to the church that was meant to be a bedrock of the foundation of who we are and it was already correcting problems. <laughs> the good news is this isn't unfamiliar territory. Guys, the church has struggled from day one. You know why? Because imperfect people like me and like you are the church. And so we need a loving, gracious God who will tell us the truth. And we need a church filled with humble people who are willing to hear the truth and respond to it. And before I'm ready to go out there and yell the truth at other people, I'm willing first to let the truth of God penetrate my heart and change my life. And so that is, that is my hope. So in the coming weeks, we're gonna talk about different ways that I believe God wants to restore his power in the church. And so as we jump into the book of Romans today, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, it was filled with with brand new baby Christians that were Gentiles, that just grew up in that pagan Roman culture, that were just starting to figure out who Jesus was. It was also a church that had a lot of Jewish transplants that lived in Rome, that knew the Old Testament scriptures and had discovered Jesus. And so for longtime veterans who had the word of God, who then discovered Jesus, to like brand new baby Christians who were just caught up in the culture of the day, Paul has clear, bold truth to speak to both parties. And so what we're gonna talk about this morning is the power of the gospel. And I wanna encourage you, if you're sitting at home or you're sitting in this chair, don't just think, oh, Jake's gonna give one of those gospel messages where if I haven't met Jesus yet, I can respond to him, but I know that because I've responded to him. No, 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 the gospel is the bedrock of how we live out our lives in Christ. And much of who Paul is talking to about the gospel is people who've already believed, but they need to hold on to the essence of the gospel message and let it empower us to be the church. So with that in mind, let's pray and let's, let's dive into this this morning. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your radical love for the whole world. I thank you for your church, your bride, that you love, that you have washed clean by your sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. We thank you that all we do is have faith and respond with a yes to your gospel. Jesus, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is your free gift. God, would you renew in our hearts a deep love and appreciation for who you are and for what you've done? for the importance of gospel work to happen in our lives daily and for the importance that we not be overly influenced by the culture around us or sit back in judgment of the culture around us, but that we could be carriers of the gospel and that it would provide the needed power to bring healing and real change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, Paul opens his letter, and in the first part of chapter one, verses 15 and 16, he says this, this is what I am eager to do amongst you, the Roman church. Here we go, Romans 1, 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Friends, he's writing to believers. Now, I know that he's believing this letter will get passed around and folks who don't know Jesus yet will discover him and so there's power in the gospel for those who have not yet believed. But he's writing to the church and he's saying, I'm eager to preach to you the gospel. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. When I look around at the culture around me, when I encounter Jews who've yet to follow Jesus, when I encounter Gentiles who live in just this, this pagan, broken culture, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed by it. In fact, I'm the opposite of embarrassed by it. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. When we choose to believe in the gospel of Jesus, it's powerful. It changes things. It comes with, with strength. It comes with purpose to accomplish something. It does for me what I could never do for myself. The gospel works in me and through me to accomplish things in this world that I could never do of myself. The gospel itself is, permeates with the power of God. It's salvation for everyone. Guys, this is the solution. If you pulled out your little fancy, like what are the issues on the ballot this year or whatever, what are the broken problems in this country? The gospel has the power to save us from those issues. You wanna talk about racial reconciliation? 
Well, let's be radically reconciled to God and then watch how his gospel message is now that believers become ministers of what? Reconciliation. You know what's going to reconcile brothers and sisters? When we realize that is another image bearer of God's glory. And God has gloriously reconnected me to him. He did the work. Jesus did it so I could be reconciled. And now I can participate in reconciliation. And we can go on and on down the list, guys. The gospel is the solution. Let's not look and waste time and thought and energy and worry and fear and anger and concern invested in a bunch of other things that are not the answer. We can pass every right law. We can mandate every right behavior. It is the human heart that needs to be rescued and redeemed. We wouldn't have to be so wrapped up and concerned about how to fix laws related to abortion if nobody wanted to have one. If, if our hearts were at a place where I just knew I'm not going there, I might be facing the most difficult circumstance I could have possibly imagined. Something I, I didn't ask for, I don't want, I have no idea what to do. But that answer is off the table because in my heart of hearts, God has changed this heart. And so it doesn't matter what the law says because I'm not doing that. What if we were more worried about people's hearts than trying to fix everything externally? I'm not against passing righteous laws. I'm not against using our voice to vote. Man, that's what the message was about last week. Go vote. Praise God that he works through Powers that he puts in place. Yes, I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying, guys, as the church, let's stop delegating things to the world that were meant to transpire in the house of God. Let's carry forth the gospel because it is the hope of salvation and needed change. In this letter, Paul is offering real, lasting hope for a deeply broken world. He's also offering real lasting hope for a divided church. Now that's gonna be another message later in the series because he gets into that in other places as we'll see. So the power of the gospel, I wanna talk to you about three things this morning. What's wrong, what's right, and what's needed. What's wrong, what's right, and what's needed. I'm gonna just hit in passing relatively quickly some of the things Paul begins to say coming right out of this declaration that the power of the gospel brings salvation because he then begins to highlight why it is needed because there is major brokenness in the world. And so let's take a look at some of this. What's wrong? Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is where it starts. When we suppress God's truth and insert our truth, anything goes. 
And guys, the next couple of verses make it clear. Whether you and I are doing our biblical duty to be carriers of the gospel or not, Paul says man is without excuse. And he points to creation and says creation declares the glory of God. Creation highlights the fact that there is a creator and that this world is filled with purpose, his purpose. And we're without an excuse. And so he, he continues on with this theme of suppressing the truth. And now he begins to describe what, what transpires when we do that. Verse 21 now. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. You see the breakdown? I shut down God's truth. I refuse to receive it or acknowledge it. Maybe I minimize it, what I ignore it. Whether I believe in my head or not that there is a God, I live as if there is not. And I suppress his truth, and then that leads to a breakdown, futile thinking, broken thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I can't see clearly anymore. Listen, I believe many in our country want healing, want change, want to see things get better. We've just got darkened eyesight. It's not clear how we get there. And we haven't identified that the first problem is there is someone who tells us what things should look like, tells us what it looks like to live in healthy relationship with each other, offers solutions to our brokenness. But we shut that down and we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts become darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. When we suppress the truth, our, our thinking becomes very unclear, becomes darkened. And when that happens, we will worship anything but God. But we will worship. We were made to worship, and we do. But when God is not where he belongs, we worship anything but him. And we feel justified in it. And so we live lives wrapped up in ourselves. You know what our biggest idol is in this country? The person in the mirror. You know, we, th we think about like, well, we don't have statues in our house that we worship. No, we just have mirrors all over the place. Uh, now, listen, I look in the mirror every morning. I may not like what I see every morning when I look in the mirror, but I do. This isn't a message about go throw out your mirrors. But guys, it, we, are, we are wrapped up and self-absorbed. Some of us are wrapped up and self-absorbed and it's led to pride and arrogance. For some of us, it's crippled us in anxiety and fear and worry because we're so worried about what other people think. But we're not really worried about what other people think. We're worried about ourselves. We're focused on ourselves, and I'm worried about how I'm perceived. We worship the creature rather than the creator. So what happens? As this, as this sets in, I'm going to move quickly through these next couple of verses. But as this sets in, there's a pattern here. We have pulled away from him and now you're going to see a phrase repeated three times in just a handful of verses. It's the phrase, God gave them up. 
That word gave them up. It's one Greek word. And it means to give into the hands of another, to give over into someone else's power or use. Judas gave up Jesus. Same word. You want want to go that way? You're handed over. And now you're under their power and influence and control. And so God says, you want to push me away? Then I'll give you over to that thing you want. And so listen to what happens. Verses 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When God is rejected, anything goes. Moving on. Next verse, first part of it. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now, because of young ears in the room, I will allow you guys to read the next verse or two on your own. But I don't believe that anyone can have an honest reading of the New Testament and not see that the same high standard of sexual ethics in the Old Testament does not continue forward in Christ in the New Testament. It is willful blindness to not think that that God's standard for that doesn't remain. It does. And so he gives us over to chasing every possible thing we want to chase, including unhealthy sexual practices. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so there the progression is complete. From from a mind that has suppressed truth, let me just push it to the side, to a mind that begins to not think or see clearly, it gets darkened, and eventually God just says, go the way you want to go. And my mind reaches a point where it's debased. It it literally just means like it's, it's useless. It's unusable, unacceptable, unworthy. A debased mind. Now, Paul describes all of that and he ends with this list. And I want you to to just honestly reflect. Don't take my opinion on this. Don't take my word for this. Honestly reflect on the culture that we live in. Honestly reflect on the norms in just the Christian religious culture. And tell me if this doesn't fit. Romans 1, 29 through 32. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Coveting, it's like on the list. We think of like the really big, ugly sins, but it's like coveting, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They're malicious. They're gossips. We don't ever experience that in church circles. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. 
Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. They give approval to those who practice them. I'm not, I'm not reading through this stuff to shame us, friends. The point of this message is that the power of God is available to bring change. But if we aren't willing to be honest about the condition of our culture, if we're not willing to be honest about the condition of his bride, the church, then we zap the power of the gospel. When we gloss it over, when we minimize the problems, when we aren't willing to be honest about the fact that there are things that we have given approval to that are wrong, then we won't recognize our need for the gospel and we won't celebrate it when it shows up to bring change and salvation. Paul is warning about a broken culture, about what happens when we leave God out. So he's, he's describing the pagan culture that this, this young church is trying to operate in. And it's also trying to separate from. And he's saying in that broken culture, ignorance sets in, then there's idol worship and chasing our own passions and our own desires. That's our aim. So consider that. What does this look like for us? Like I said, our idols are ourselves, and I, I do mean that, but it's like, what are some of our idols? What are the things that we just obsess with, and that's what we think about and pursue? Is it money or what money provides, success? Is that the aim of my heart? Is that what the focus of my life is? Is it on comfort or control? What about sexual immorality? What do I practice? What do I watch? What do I celebrate? Like, let, let's consider. Now, as Paul lays this out, you know, there's, there's believers who that is the only environment they have known. They've grown up in that environment. And they've now responded and come to Jesus, but they still live right there. And they're trying to figure out how to navigate. And so for some of them, this is a wake-up call to have some clarity to go, these are the things that have to change. The power of God is the gospel. Let me turn to him. Be changed by him. Be redeemed by him. Be set free from this old way of living. But listen, for others of them, Paul's concern is, guys, you've pulled away from that, but you're now looking out at this culture I just described, and you're standing in judgment of it. And one of the things that's broken my heart about the church it's not just that large portions of the church have compromised and allowed the culture to permeate our lives. A large portion of the church is standing against that culture and they're standing against it with anger and judgment. And I, I have, I've watched this, I've listened to this, I have witnessed influential followers of Jesus use what I just read in Romans to fully and completely shame and condemn our culture and write them off and wash their hands of it. When the whole reason Paul opened his letter with this was to say, 
there's hope. He's saying, yeah, this is the problem, but read the whole rest of the letter. As hard as it was to read through that stuff, it's a handful of verses. Paul's saying, here's the problem, here's the glorious solution. It's Jesus Christ. He loves that broken, fallen culture, and he wants to redeem mankind to himself, and he wants to set broken hearts free. And so Paul uses this to pave the way for the glory of Jesus. But he has to stop after chapter one, and he moves into chapter two and says, hey, there's something else we gotta talk about. Now, I I wanna be clear. What we're about to read through He's talking to Jewish believers, okay? So these are guys who, they have the law. They they know the Old Testament word of God and they've chosen to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. So these are Jesus-following Jewish believers who have had a lifetime of knowing God's word, all right? Now, I wanna say up front, I think there has been a lot of biblical error where we substitute the church in place of Israel. I believe that. But I also believe that Paul is talking to a group of people who have religiously followed God for a long time and have an established culture and they're missing out on something that's off in here. And so I would encourage you to listen to the heart of what Paul is saying to the Jews and see if this might not fit very religious Christians that have just lived that way for a long time. And so we're gonna move through this quickly. He gives three warnings. Number one, Romans 2, 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We have got to be careful when we judge. Because as Jesus told us, the same measure you use will be measured back to you. And he told us, let's, let's remove the plank out of our own eye before we move the speck out of another. And so Paul says, be careful that you're not walking in judgment. Second warning, verses, uh, still chapter two, verses 23 and 24. You who boast in the law, right? So you've got the truth and you boast in it. We've got the truth. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What's he saying? You're hypocrites. You don't hold yourself to the same standard that you're holding the world to. You're not honest with yourself about the ways that you aren't even following what Jesus has called you to follow. And so he calls out being judgmental and he calls out hypocrisy. Well, those have never been problems for the church in America. Number three. Verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What's Paul calling out? External religiosity. Externally, I'm doing the stuff. I'm going through the motions. I'm at church on Sunday. Fill in the blank. And he's saying, be careful 
that you haven't settled for just an external religious faith where you go through the motions. Real faith is in the heart. Real faith happens right here. Have I given my heart to him? I'm not worried about how people view me and if I'm living this like faithful religious life. I'm worried about him. I'm standing before him because it's the Lord that searches the heart. And so Paul, in like kind of one fell swoop, he's dealing with the broken culture of the day, highlighting the problems that exist there, warning them not to be involved in it, and also he's highlighting the ways that we can just sit back in judgment, hypocrisy, and just a false surface form of religion instead of having a true relationship with Jesus where gospel power is changing us. That's what's wrong. Guys, it's time for the church to rediscover the gospel, to not allow the culture to permeate our lives. We need a reminder and a renewal of gospel power in us, like it, like it needs to permeate my life. Living honestly and openly before the Lord, God, I need you. I see this brokenness in me. God, I see ways I sit in judgment. Lord, I see ways where I, I just settle for kind of like this, this sort of false compromising, just going through the motions faith. God, I want real, genuine relationship with you. See, the, the power of the gospel saves me from sin and brings me into right relationship. I meant to enjoy that and walk in it. And so let's invite the, the gospel power to penetrate our lives. And like, guys, just a really simple thing to reflect on. This isn't meant to be like answer right now in the moment, but if the gospel in you was like COVID, would it transfer easily to others that you're around? Okay, maybe that's a little too cheesy on the nose. But like seriously, I mean, that's something we're living with. Like, man, if, if I'm around that person for too long and they've got it, I'm catching it. I'm not talking about hitting people over the head with a Bible every time you talk to them. I'm saying has the gospel so permeated our lives that we just carry it around with us. And when we're around other people, it is contagious. It rubs off on them. Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Do, you. do you understand what that's describing? It's not saying go around convincing people of something. It's saying be ready to give a defense. What does that mean? That means somebody has asked me. Why did they ask me? Because they saw the hope I was carrying. And they said, what's up with that? What's going on with you right there? And then I'm ready to say, it's Jesus. It's the power of God that's changed my life, that gives me hope in all circumstances, that gives me joy unspeakable, that gives me a deep sense that when everything seems wrong, I believe it's gonna be right. Let's be carriers of the gospel. So that's a lot of what's wrong. Are we ready to move on to what's right? Anybody else ready for the good news part of the gospel? Yes. 
What's right? Well, I've got one more piece of bad news for you. Romans 3.10, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. (laughs) So what's right? Not me and not you. We aren't. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Paul's not just talking on his own. He's quoting from the book of Psalms. So what's right? None of us. We're broken. But that's the beauty of the gospel. That while none of us is right, there is one who is. There is one who is. See, Paul makes it perfectly simple and clear. You guys know this verse, right? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no mystery to that verse. All means all. We need the power of God. Guys, gospel power comes first by understanding our great weakness and need. Because in our weakness, he's strong. And so from Romans 3.23 onward, check this out. It begins to describe the one who is right. I'm going to read it again, Romans 3.23 and through verse 26 now. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we aren't right But God who is right makes us right. That's what justified is. He makes us right with him. How? It's a gift, guys. We receive it. Man, I need that gift. This world needs that gift. What if we walk around every day recognizing, God, I need your gift of life. I need it. I need it in me. God, the people that I'm going to encounter today, they need a touch of your grace in their life. We have great need of it. And God, that's who you are. Who's the one that's right? We see it right here in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is so good and so right, he even decided, I'm going to make a way for you to be right. That's what, that's what Paul's describing. God isn't just right and good and in good standing and sitting back. He's so righteous, he's so good, that he's a pre-arranged a way for all of us to be made right. That's the heart of God. See, I think all too often when, when we think about sin... We either think about something fun I'm supposed to start missing out on or something I'm supposed to feel really guilty of. We think about it from our earthly perspective. Maybe it's something I'm trapped and struggling with. Maybe it's something I really don't want to give up, but God wants me to give it up. But how often do we think about sin from God's perspective? As Paul's describing this righteous God, Guys, this is the God who made us, put his fingerprint on us. He loved us so much, he said, I want you to look like me. You know, for you parents out there who've had a baby, there's something miraculous when I look at my wife and I look at one of our kids 
And it's like, wow, we see ourselves in that child. I mean, it just does something to you right here. That is just a glimpse of what God feels towards us. He loves us. And Paul is describing a world that has just thumbed its nose at him. That doesn't recognize his goodness, his love. And he's so righteous, he loves us anyways. He's so righteous that he prearranged a way for us to be made right. So whether we're a sinner who's never met Jesus, or we've grown into some old stodgy Christian, full of judgment and hypocrisy and going through the motions, there's hope. There is hope for our righteous God, from our righteous God who loves us, who justifies us in faith. God alone is right, and anyone who places their faith in Jesus is right. That's the gospel, guys. Nothing that we've done, what he's done. So what's needed? We've talked about what's wrong. We've talked about what's right, what's needed. I want to leave you with two things as we close this morning. The first thing that's needed, repentance. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I, I have to wonder how long the church has done that where we've just sat back going, God's kind and he's good and he's patient with me and we use it as an excuse to not get right with him. He's made a way for it. It's a gift that we can open and receive. Do I want that? Am I willing to look at my own life and say, Lord, where are there ways where I have accepted this kind of brokenness in my life? Like guys, I'm just talking about some honest reflection. Lord, I can look at this culture and see a lot of it and go, I, I don't associate with that, but Lord, am I willing to consider ways where I have compromised, where instead of the gospel permeating my life, this American culture has permeated my life, and it is the thing that has set my aims? And am I willing to be honest about that and say, God, I have been wrong, and you are right, and I'm repenting. God, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your kindness towards me. I'm not just gonna take that flippantly and move on and live the way I want. God, I'm gonna allow that to actually capture my heart, to let your love and your kindness capture my heart and repent. God, forgive me for broken living, for broken thinking. God, forgive me for feeling like I've got the Bible, I've got the truth, and look at this messed up culture around me, and I just sit back in judgment. God, forgive me for ignoring my own hypocrisy. God, forgive me for just settling for cultural Christianity, where I just do the two or three things we're all supposed to do, as opposed to like really knowing and walking with Jesus. Really knowing and caring for his church. Like am I, am I bleeding with people? Not that it's all hard all the time, but like, 
man, am I in the trenches with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I encouraging them with the gospel? Are they encouraging me with the gospel when I need to hear it? And then together, are we carrying that hope to the world? God, have I just settled in some way for some complacent form of faith? Or am I, I really, am I really receiving your gospel so much so that it's permeating my life? And so let's open up ourselves to not being presumptuous, but being repentant. Let's reflect, let's repent. Listen, repenting, it's, it's not just saying the words, I'm sorry. It's purposing in our heart, God, I have been going this way. This has become the rut that I'm in. This has become the familiar road that I walk. God, I don't want to walk that way anymore. I want to walk this way with you. And so, God, I am broken about that. I'm sorry. I'm grateful for your kindness. I'm grateful that you have been patient with me. But I'm not settling for that anymore. And I'm turning. God, I'm sorry of looking outwardly so much to blame others around me instead of looking internally and being honest with you and saying, God, what needs to change here? And so I repent. And so many of us, man, we just need to start right there. The second thing I believe that's needed, I want to I close with this. I want to leave you guys with this. Not only do we need repentance, we need faith. I mean, it's hard to do a message on the gospel and not talk about faith. We could have spent a lot more time on it. But faith gives us the ability to hold on and trust that Jesus is who he says he is and he is doing in my heart and life what he says he's gonna do and that God is present and at work in this world because the good news is going forth in this world. And so I wanna leave you with this, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I've struggled with over the years when I've preached a message that's more geared this direction where it's like, it's a lot of like challenging us to consider what might be broken is that I'm aware of my own struggles to always try to perform and accomplish and do the stuff. Guys, we have a gift that's been given to us. And when we turn our hearts to Jesus, when we repent, like big picture repent and give him my life, or like along the journey when I recognize ways I've gotten off course and I repent, guys, I can be at peace with God and know that we're good. I can by faith just receive that. Man, I'm, I'm justified, I'm good with him. I don't need to, to carry around burdens of guilt or shame. Man, I am freely enjoying peace with God. That's what's compelling about the gospel. That's what I get to carry. I get to be a carrier of peace. I get to let other people know how incredible it is to have that weight and that burden lifted and to know God and walk with him. And so we have peace. Verse two, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So the way I continue standing and moving forward is anchored in faith that God's grace that brought me here will keep me going. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Man, his grace got me here, his grace is gonna hold me here, and it's gonna move me forward. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
I said there were things that were concerning me about the church. I'm concerned about how the church is responding to a hard season. I'm concerning about a church that has grown up in a comfortable place that when hard times hit, we look for all kind of external things to go, here's the problem, here's the problem, here's how we fix it, here's what we do. You're right, you're wrong. You stop talking, you keep talking, this, that. And we're just like, we think it's all out here and it's like, guys, just hold on in faith and endure. This isn't the end all be all. And, and sadly, I think if the Lord tarries and we're here 20, 30 years from now, we're gonna look back and go, wow, we freaked out that much about COVID? Look at like this real stuff we're facing now. I mean, I don't wanna minimize it. People have died. People's businesses have been ravaged. I don't wanna minimize it. I'm just saying when suffering comes, do we hold on in faith and endure? That's the gospel. The same gospel that, that is this anchor for my soul anchors me in all seasons, at all times. God has got this. And so I endure. And what does that endurance do? Endurance produces character. I think far too many Christians are more concerned with their circumstances changing than their character changing. That when something difficult comes my way, is my first response, quick, how can I get out of this situation? Or is my first response, Lord, you might be up to something. You love me, and you're working your gospel into my life. God, is there something you want to do in me through this hard circumstance? God uses suffering to produce endurance, which produces character, which brings us back to where we started. It produces hope. Because, friends, the hope of the gospel should be constantly renewing in our hearts. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame or it does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, when we look out at the brokenness in our country, when we look in the mirror and are honest about the brokenness in our own lives, the reason we can move forward is that there is hope. And that hope is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to radically change individual hearts and lives and through that to change a community, to change a society. That's the power of God. And so, friends, I want to encourage you, remember your former hope and let hope spur us on to have faith in this moment to stand, to face suffering, to endure to see our character grown and strengthened. So there's renewed hope so that we might be carriers of the gospel. Guys, if we wanna see the church have real influence in this culture, it's not gonna be about how do we have power to influence the culture. It's gonna be the power of the gospel moving through us to influence people who need Jesus. That's it. We wanna see power return to the church. Let's repent and live in faith. That's how we see the power of the gospel return to the church. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you that in your righteousness, you have extended kindness, patience towards us so that we might repent, 
God, so we could wake up and come to realization of our brokenness. And God, that you are the one who is right. Lord, the things externally that we see that that concern us, that worry us, God, you have hope for those situations because you are the answer. Lord, as we look internally, as we're willing to consider as followers of Jesus our character, where we're at, Lord, we want to start right there today. God, may we have some honest reflection before you. Lord, if there's there's anything in us you want to highlight, would you do it? Lord, may we position ourselves to be honest as the culture permeated our lives. Lord, may we position ourselves and be honest. Am I just agreeing and saying that's okay when I see things that are broken and wrong? Lord, am, am I sitting in judgment? Am I living in hypocrisy? God, have I just settled for some cultural faith instead of real relationship with you? Lord, would you highlight those places in our life and thank you by your grace that we can repent, we can be saved, we can be renewed, we can be forgiven. And God, would you give us the gift of faith that we might stand in all seasons at all times. God, I pray that more and more your gospel would permeate my life that your gospel would permeate Grace Chapel. God, that you would permeate each of us individually, that we would be carriers of the gospel. God, we love you. We acknowledge our weakness. And we thank you that you are strong, that you are righteous and faithful and good. Jesus, we glorify you and thank you that you have reconciled us to God. That by your death and your resurrection life, we can be made new. Thank you, God, that we can go forward, not in guilt or in shame or complacency or fill in the blank, but we can go forward in peace because you've reconciled us to yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen, amen.